Um, well, if you're watching this, uh, I guess that means that I didn't make it to Sunday. I'm recovering from a cold, and oftentimes with a cold for me, uh, I get a lingering cough. And so I, I did test negative for COVID, but uh, just as a precaution, I thought I'd record this uh, just so that at least we have a Sunday service, have a Sunday message, and um, hopefully uh, this comes out okay. Um, hopefully you had a good week. Um, I, you know, tried to have a good week. Uh, I was feeling good, and then just the last day or so, the congestion kind of set in, the cough started to come up, so thought it might be best if I stayed home and uh, spared you all from, uh, from the cough in person, so... Um, so hopefully this turns out okay. Um, why don't we bow our heads and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for um, technology, Lord. Thank you that we can uh, hear your word. Uh, we can come together, uh, Lord, and just know that, Lord Jesus, your spirit works beyond technology and even within technology, Lord. And uh, we just thank you that uh, we can come together. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be uh, here with us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak, that, Lord, your word would speak truth into our hearts, into our lives. And, Father, we just ask for your blessing over this time. And we lift this to you, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Um, so by now, you have witnessed that uh, I'm a pretty big sports fan. I'm not quite as obsessed as I used to be, but I still am pretty passionate about uh, my teams. And you can tell when I say my teams, right? They're my teams, right? Um, if you're unfamiliar with being a sports fan, the sports fan's life can look quite fascinating, if not very bizarre. From the outside, from a non-sports fan looking at a sports fan's life, uh, the level of devotion to their team is fanatical right? Which is where we get the term sports fan, right? It seems bizarre. It seems fanatical. Um, if you know a sports fan, maybe they're at your home or not, um, if you've watched them watch a game, they watch with laser focus, right? Do not dare distract a sports fan from the game. They purchase merchandise as if they are wearing the uniform themselves, right? Uh, they discuss the highs and lows about their teams with such detail and with such passion, it's as if the fate of the universe is at stake. The sports fan cheers from their innermost being, but they also boo with utter disgust. The sports fan really lives vicariously through their team, experiencing deep agony and the hopeful thrill of the most victorious high, which is, of course, their team winning the championship. Now, uh, I spent roughly 38 years of my life cheering for my teams, my favorite sports teams, the Lakers, the Rams, and UCLA, both basketball and football. And of those 38 years of being a sports fan, I lived to experience the ultimate victorious moments with my team winning the championship 11 times. So I've experienced the ultimate victory, 
that ultimate experience of thrill 11 times with my teams, nine with the Lakers, one with the Rams, and one with UCLA. Now that's pretty good for a sports fan, but that's 11 out of 146 seasons. 76 with the Lakers and the Rams, and 70 years, or I'm sorry, 70 seasons as a Bruins fan. Now, if you do the math, that is 135 seasons of frustration, heartbreak, anger, emptiness, loneliness, or maybe not loneliness, but feelings of utter waste of time and money. Why? Why do I put up with that? Why do I go through that? I'm not actually playing. I'm not actually accomplishing anything. I'm still waiting for my championship reading for all those years of devotion. Why do we fans put up with this? Why do we put ourselves through this experience? It's because the players, the teams, they take us through a journey of, of vicariously experiencing the thrill of victory and ultimate achievement. Yet that feeling of ultimate achievement, if you even get to experience that, only lasts a few months. Because before you know it, a next season starts. And usually a new champion is crowned. Now, for those of you who aren't sports fans, this sounds silly, right? Why do, you, why do you cheer so passionately for that? Well, whether you're a sports fan or not, we can all relate at some level. We're all entertained, right, by movies or music. We may live vicariously through another person's or other people's achievements. We hope the success of others leads us to experience success for ourselves. See, we pick and choose whether to invest or where to invest our innermost or utmost devotion and passion. Sometimes it's sports, maybe it's movies, maybe it's work, entertainment. But see, none of that can deliver on the return of investment as your devotion to Jesus Christ. Nothing compares to the reward promised to us like enduring faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there'll be nothing more satisfying than the victorious revealing of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, we've been talking, I've been mentioning the last couple of weeks, the reason we believe. Why should we believe what we've been studying, what we've been hearing? Why should we listen to Paul when he encouraged us to live a different life? And we've been saying, we've been seeing that the answer is Jesus. Who Jesus is. What Jesus did. What Jesus continues to do. And what he will do. The answer is is Jesus Christ. What he has done and what he continues to do, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to continue to look at as we 
continue in Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. And uh, we read 5 through 11. We focused on the first part of that passage, and we're going to take focus on the second part today. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start off in verse 5. Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Verse 9, Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let's recap a little bit of last week. We focused on verses 5 through 9 last week, or I'm sorry, 5 through 8 last week. And we looked at the humility of Christ. We saw that Jesus was the model of humility, sacrifice, and obedience. That though being in his divine form, he was equal with God, with the Father, he humbled himself. He emptied himself and took on the form of a slave. He took on the likeness of man. And he was obedient unto death, death on the cross. He became that sinless sacrifice for sin. So we saw in that passage, we saw the divine nature of Jesus, that he was in divine form and equal with God or the Father. We saw the incarnation of Jesus. He, took, he humbled himself and took on human flesh. And we saw the sacrifice of Jesus, that he was obedient unto death on the cross. Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. See what Jesus did. Jesus led the way. He made the way. And then he became the way to the Father. I'll say that again. He led the way. He made the way. And became the way to the Father. He lived a sinless life. Became a sinless sacrifice. And made it possible to live sinlessly, without sin, eternally with God. So Jesus paid for the crime we committed. He went through the suffering that we did not have to, so that we would not have to receive just punishment. So you think about all that he did for us. What more can God ask, or what more can we ask from God? We see here in this passage. So we're to have the same attitude. Paul starts off in verse 5, right? To have this attitude that is in Christ Jesus. So we're to have that same attitude of humility as Jesus showed for us. But of course, we know the story doesn't end on the cross. But it ends victoriously. Look at verse 9. We're going to see the exaltation of Christ. We saw last week the, hu the humility of Christ. And this week we'll see the exaltation of Christ. Verse 9. Therefore also God 
highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice what it says about Jesus, that he is what highly exalted, that word for highly exalted, to exalt to the highest rank and power, raised to supreme majesty, to extol most highly, to be lifted up with pride, exalted beyond measure. He goes on to say that he's bestowed, the Father's bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Look at those two things that go together. Highly exalted and his name above every name. And when we think of someone's name, we don't often think beyond that, well, that's just what we call them. That's what we refer someone to, is their name. You know, when people think of names, many people don't really think of the meaning of a name. Sometimes they just like the sound of the name, right? But in Hebrew culture, the name speaks to their essence, a person's essence, their character, their power, the power and authority within that person, right? So it's that essence of a person. So the name represents the whole of the person. It's not just how they are referenced, what you call them. The name of God is a theme woven throughout Scripture. Now, in studying this passage, um, I thought, you know what, let me do a quick study on the name of God. And that quick study turned into a very lengthy study. The name of God is referenced more than 465 times in Scripture. More than that. Often referencing calling upon His name. Believing in His name. Praising, blessing His name. Giving thanks in His name. The name proper, there's passages talking about God's name proper. His, his proper name talks about his character. Action is done on behalf of his name or in the name of God, in the name of the Lord. There's passages that talk about the sanctity of the name of God, to treat it with reverence. His name is holy. So there's even more passages about that. More than 465. That's where I stopped counting because it took, okay, this is taking a long time. Jesus is exalted above all others and his name is high above every name. You know, when you do that study of the significance of the name of God, it really just gives you a greater appreciation for what Paul is saying here, for what's being declared here. That his name is above every name. He resumes his divine place with God. See, notice that stark contrast from last week. The previous verses from verses 6 through 8, we saw that Jesus had divine glory and equality with God, but he humbled himself. He emptied himself. Took on the form of a slave in the likeness of man. But here, Jesus is exalted, and he's exalted in the highest and above every name. He's taken his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. He goes on and says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Notice that even while Jesus is exalted, it is still to the glory of the Father. But look, so, so look what it's saying here for Jesus, the exaltation. He's exalted highly above everybody else, anybody else. His name is above all the names. And then at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those who are in heaven and on earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Noah goes hand in hand. Knee will bow. That word to bow, to bend, to bow oneself. And to tongue, and every tongue should confess, either confess or profess, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now this part of the passage, there's a little bit of open of interpretation to this. It can be seen in a couple ways. Um, one way, does this represent a future scene? Right? This is a scene that's going to happen in the future where every knee and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That someday there's going to be a scene that everybody, the living and the dead, is going to bow before the Lord and confess Jesus is Lord. Is this a future scene? Well, if this is a future scene, every knee and every tongue, those who are in heaven on earth, those who have all passed, they would all bow, but it wouldn't be a confession unto salvation, but rather out of being confronted with the realization that Jesus is Lord. Another slight alterate, an alternative to thought of, of how to interpret this is that this is more of a general statement. It's not necessarily casting a picture, but rather uh, stating a general statement that by the name of Jesus, all people are subject to bow the knee. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee, every tongue, all under heaven or in heaven and on earth and below the earth, all are subject to bow and confess. No one is exempt. He is the name which all are subject to bow and confess as Lord. Now, before, previously, I used to think that this is uh, casting a picture of a future scene. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of leaning more that it's more of a declaration that Jesus was exalted by all names and that at his name, all knees bow and every tongue confess Jesus as Lord. That all authority was given to Jesus. That his name has all authority of God. I think that's kind of the point of it. That it's saying that by the name of Jesus, all knees should bow. And every tongue should confess. Now I think it's important to note that bowing the knee and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord is paired together. That it goes hand in hand. I think it's interesting because, see, look, you see a posture of humility, right? Bowing the knee is a posture, a physical gesture of humility, right? Of reverence. And that's coupled with confession, so a posture of humility and reverence is directly connected to profession of Jesus Christ as Lord. Confessing Jesus as Lord comes with a posture of humility and reverence for the name that saves. We do not come to Jesus from a position of demanding from God, but rather a plea for his mercy 
and his kindness and his forgiveness. You may have heard the saying, all roads lead to God. How many of you have ever heard that saying before? I see your hand. Yes and no, right? That saying, all roads lead to God. Yes and no. Yes, that no matter how you live your life, what you chose to believe, we will all stand before God someday. But no, in that we will not all be standing before God with the same status before him. The day will come when all will be before Jesus. All will come to the knowledge that Jesus Christ truly is Lord. He truly is who the Bible says he is. But all will face that decision. We all face that decision to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth, right? Do we believe or do we, do we reject Jesus as Lord? And that decision has eternal consequences. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 31, Therefore do not fear, you are more value than many sparrows. Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. See what Jesus is saying, what he declared. Look. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, look. If you confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father. But if you deny me, do not think you can stand before me in eternity and say, oh, wait, 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 wait. I changed my mind. I was wrong. That time is up. Clearly says, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. See, when people stand before the Lord, they will face the consequences of the decisions they made regarding who Jesus is. How they answer that question in life. Who is Jesus to your life? Do you believe in him? Is he your Lord and Savior or have you rejected him? You've rejected his gift of salvation. Now, when you think about something, have you ever received something that you knew you just did not deserve? You're gifted something so amazing that was just beyond what you could ask for, let it all feel like you deserve. Maybe it was a physical object gift. Maybe it was a second chance. I don't know. But do you know that God desires this for us? He wants to bless us more than we can ever imagine or ever earn or deserve. Do you see what happened here? Jesus is exalted so that we can be exalted. His gain is our gain. We are victorious because he is victorious. I mentioned before about following sports, being a sports fan. I'm sitting here on the couch watching a team perform, and they win a game, and I celebrate as if 
I won something. I didn't win anything. But the team won, and I get to experience the thrill of victory. And you see what Jesus does here. While all others will be judged for this obedience and the rejection of the Lord, we will be blessed beyond measure. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, who confessed him as Lord, professed him as he is the Savior, he is the risen one. They get to experience that ultimate joy. You see what's happening? This I hope you can get this picture of what we've been seeing in these past few passages. That our lives are to mirror our inspiration, our model. Remember we looked at last week, we talked about our models. Teaching and inspiring. Jesus is our teacher. He is our model and he is our inspiration. That's why Paul said in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So notice the pattern. Jesus in glory, he, he humbles himself, and then he is exalted. And then we here, we start off not in glory, but we start off with our sinful pride. But we need to humble ourselves, and in our humility of confessing Jesus as Lord, bowing our knee, our tongue confessing, we can receive our redemption and exaltation. See, God honors humility. He honors humility because a humble heart is our protection against pride. Let me say that again. Our humility, our humble heart is our protection against pride. Because, see, our pride will cause us to distance ourselves from the Lord. Our pride will harden our hearts towards God. Our pride tells us we don't need God right now. God, I don't need you now. I don't need you to prove anything to me. I'm going to prove it myself. But our humble hearts keeps us close to the Lord. Yes, circumstances may be hard, and maybe it humbles us, or it can elevate our pride. When we have suffering in our life, sometimes that suffering brings pride in our life. We say, God, forget you. I don't need you. But our suffering should humble us. Say, God, I need you more than ever. Look what God says in Isaiah 66, 1 to 2. He says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to those, to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. See what God says here, look, I made all these things. What do you think you can do for me? There's nothing you can do for me, but I will look upon those who have a humble heart, a contrite spirit, trembles at my word. What can we do for God but have a humble and contrite spirit? See, God wants to bless us. He blesses the humble. But we must be willing to humble ourselves before the Lord. Luke 14, 11, Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. And he who humbles himself shall be exalted. 
See, we think the opposite. We live a life of pride. We build our pride up. But God says, humble yourself and you'll be exalted. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Even in your times of anxiety and hardship, we're told, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he will exalt you at the proper time. James also says something similar in James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So we have to get this picture. What Paul is trying to tell us. When Paul talks to the church and tells the church, look, humble yourselves. Serve each other. See each other highly above yourself, even their desire before your own. He says all these things because he says, follow the attitude, follow the pattern. Have the attitude that was in Christ. God says to humble ourselves because he humbled himself. Four truths of Jesus Christ that we saw in this passage from verses 5 through 11 that answers that question, why? Pastor Mike, why should we believe? Why should we radically change and alter our life? The four truths of Christ. Because Jesus, he was divine. The divine nature of Christ. He was eternal. He was equal with God. But the second thing, the incarnation of Christ. The humility of Christ. He went from the form of God and he humbled himself to come to likeness of man. The nature of a slave, of a servant. He humbled himself. So we saw the divine nature of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, that he came to earth as a human, in human flesh. Third, the mission of Christ. He was a bondservant, a slave, who's obedient to the point of death on the cross. His mission was for us. His mission was for our salvation. And the fourth truth, the exaltation of Christ. All authority given to the victorious king. He was exalted high above all other names. I don't know who you think highly of in this world today, whether it's a leader, whether, I don't know what name comes to your mind when you think of prestige, wealth, you think of rulers, presidents, politicians, sports figures, entertainment artists, all these people in this world who try to make a name for themselves pales in comparison. They're nothing. The name of Jesus, above every other name. I mentioned being a sports fan. We don't need to be a sports fan to understand that we want to be on the winning side, right? You want to be found on the winning side of things. 
and the Lord he's worthy of our devotion he's worthy of the investment of time he's worthy of us investing our life surrendering our life to why do we believe in Jesus well why do we believe is Jesus who he is what he did what he continues to do and what he will do why should we live differently because Jesus paved the way he set the model and inspired us to do the same see when we're willing to walk in his footsteps we will arrive where he will be I love that picture when we are willing to walk in his footsteps, the footsteps that he left for us, we will arrive exactly where he will be. And we will experience the ultimate victory for all eternity that will never fade, that will never grow old. And we can experience it in victory with the Lord. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of our devotion. You are worthy and you are exalted. Your name is above all names. Father God, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you. Devote our lives to you, Lord Jesus. That we would walk in your footsteps. That one day, Lord God, we would truly experience the ultimate victory. And we will be in your presence praising you, glorifying you, Lord. You are worthy of praise, Lord Jesus. You are worthy of our devotion. And we give it to you, we surrender to you, Lord God, and profess your name. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.